You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. jacked and i hope you're jacked too uh saturday's a big day for me my daughter turns four and uh, i'm excited for that party it's gonna be a pizza party um and i wish all of you could come but i'm not forking out that much money for pizza so it's just immediate family sorry um i brought it up then completely crushed your you know your heart for for bringing it up because you guys thought hey i'd love to go to a four-year-old's pizza party but now i can't because the host can't afford that many pizzas for all his listeners so it's just immediate family (laughs) but what i'm really jacked about is this is a three-day weekend for me and guess what happens on three-day weekends i can lie to my wife and i can tell her i'm gonna go to the store to buy stuff to do home repairs but i'm not I'm actually going to go shed hunting all day Sunday, and I might be able to go shed hunting on Monday, uh, in Monday morning, and it's supposed to be absolutely gorgeous Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, where I live, up in the up into the 60s even, and that's pretty crazy for February, so I'm definitely going to take advantage of this. I'm going to get out and put some miles on the boots, and uh, hopefully... Um, I, I run into run into some sheds. I'm gonna look for a couple, knock on a couple doors, look for some new property to shed hunt, maybe turkey hunt, and then get into the, uh, you know, maybe get my foot in the door for bow season. And uh, so that's what's coming up now. Today's podcast is I'm pretty excited about. It's about baiting deer and especially using baiting as a strategy. I, in Iowa, cannot bait. I can use mineral stations. I can dump corn in the off-season. However, for a mineral station, I cannot hunt over top of it. And um, there's a little gray area in some of the rules. Technically, I can't even hunt trails that lead to those um, stations. And when it comes to bait, um, I believe it has to be bait piles have to be gone or I don't even call them baiting piles because I'm not technically baiting. Uh, 
but before and after the season starts, I'll throw some corn out to get a good inventory of what um, what deer are in the area. Uh, and it, it's uh, it's a great tactic. However, I can't use those in my hunting those things in my hunting strategy. So today's conversation revolves around three individuals a guy from Texas, a guy from Maryland, and a guy from Kentucky who all use baiting in their hunting strategy. I thought this would be interested, interesting only because I can't use it, and I'm interested on how those guys use um, bait in their you know yearly routine. So that's what today's podcast is about. Pretty interesting stuff. But before we get into today's podcast, let's hear what John Livingston has to say. When I recently asked him the question, does Deer Lab work with all trail cameras? Yes, we um, specifically have made it to where it is compatible with every trail camera. Um, as long as it has a timestamp on your photo, you can upload to Deer Lab. And as far as computers, you can use it on a PC, you can use it on a Mac, uh, you can use it on a phone, tablet. Um, we basically are a browser-based web application. So as long as it has a browser, you can use it. Now, if you guys want to find out more information about Deer Lab, you need to visit the URL that Deer Lab set up specifically for Nine Finger Chronicles listeners, and that is DeerLab.com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers no spaces go check it out and uh, the benefit is you can sign up for a free 30-day trial upload all your all your trail camera pictures and play around with it and uh, you'll be able to see the benefit of using deer lab in trying to figure out and forecast deer movement so go check that out now let's get into today's podcast it's basically a bs session podcast about baiting and those who use baiting legally in in the states that they hunt and we're going to kick things off with a gentleman all the way from texas his name is dan course so let's hear what he has to say all right i'm on the phone now with dan course how are you doing today dan dan i'm doing great how about you I can't complain. Uh, like always, I get a. It's always a positive when I get to talk uh, with hunters about hunting. So it's a win-win, right? Right. The only thing better than talk about talking about hunting is going hunting. So. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Amen on that. Um, so today's topic is about baiting. And um, before we get started, um, what state do you live in? I live in Texas. Okay. And then do you typically hunt on public ground or private ground? Well, typically, um, this past season, uh, I hunted on private ground. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to hunting public ground. And actually I, I had made a lot of plans to hunt some public land. And just by happenstance, I came across an opportunity to hunt a private lease and jumped on it because you know it's it's just just advantageous to the hunter if if you have a spot that you can call yours you know right so down in texas um every it seems to me like it's pretty competitive as far as hunting space you know outside of public ground all private ground is pretty much spoke for is that the case it's it's very well spoken for at least and texas 
it's a huge state. Of course, everybody knows that, but it is very difficult to find access to, well, I wouldn't call it difficult, but in terms of the numbers, there's just not as much access to public land. So if, if you're a guy that, you know, you're budget conscious or something like that, you're going to struggle to to find really good hunting uh, locations on public land, dep- depending on what part of the state you live in as well, you know, or the public land may not hold whitetail or wh- whatever your, your species of choice is. It may not hold that uh, gotcha. very well. So, Gotcha. So, you know, to the topic on hand, um, baiting is legal in Texas and ha- have... Have you always been someone who has using has used bait as a strategy? No, no, I have not. In fact, um, I'm not a native Texan. Okay. I grew up in Mississippi, and uh, I grew up hunting there. And at the time that I lived in Mississippi, baiting was not allowed. You you could feed deer, but you could not hunt over that feed. Okay. And so, uh, so th- there was a little nuance to that, and that didn't include things like food plots or what have you. You you could always do that, but you couldn't have like a, a, a corn dispenser or feeder or something, whether it was homemade or commercial. You couldn't you couldn't be hunting over that, and that feed had to be gone uh, once hunting season started. And then then I lived in Pennsylvania also, and hunted there in Pennsylvania. Uh, was not was not open to feeding either or baiting you know gotcha so so when you moved to texas is that when you started started baiting um i moved to texas and you know i kind of fell into the the uh what we were talking about a little bit ago where where do i hunt how do i find time oh man these leases are so expensive and so forth and so on so i didn't hunt for quite some time after moving here and I, I when I started hunting, which was actually again, you know, here in Texas, which was was uh, just last year, it was so foreign to me because it. I mean, I knew that it occurred, and I knew people did it, but until I kind of experienced it, I never could imagine what it was like. It was it was very foreign to me. Gotcha. So, what was it about? You know what was so foreign about baiting? What uh, what changed, or or had you like? Was there a, like an aha moment of, of of something or something like that? Well, <clears throat> what what happened in my particular situation was uh, it it removed a lot of the scouting and a lot of the the homework that I was used to doing finding the terrain features and analyzing that and travel corridors and pinch points and bedding areas and all of that. It, it took a lot of that out of the equation. And, and, and to be honest, that's part of the fun of hunting too. You know, the, the chase is just as fun as the, as the, as the kill or the harvest. And so what, what happened to me is that um, I found a location that had been, it was an, another feeder had been there years before and it was kind of abandoned. And, you know, I was like, wow, it looks like somebody hunted here years and years ago. And then I analyzed the trails and so forth leading to that. It's like, well, these game trails are still being used. So 
plop my feeder in that location. And and also a guy that had been hunting on this property for like 30 years, he he recommended that I look in that area because it had historically been a decent spot for to see to see deer come in. And uh, so I set up set up the feeder, put a camera there, and start feeding. This is you know months before the the season started. And you know you go out and check a trail camera like anybody else. And you're like, wow, the deer are coming here, and it, it it only took them a day to find it. You know, <laughs> and uh, it was it was pretty amazing uh, to see so much activity. That was that wasn't I wasn't used to that. Okay, so. Did it sounds to me like it immediately affected the the travel on the you know on the property that you hunt? D- did everybody in your area bait? I mean, th- did your neighbors bait? And if you didn't bait, would it be uh, like a huge negative for you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I hunt a property with about nine or ten other guys, right? Okay. And it's about, uh, say, like a thousand acres, and we kind of set up. Every guy on that on that lease has a spot where they, imp- at least a spot, spot maybe two or whatever, where they're setting up feeders. So everybody is 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 baiting or feeding, and you know, I dare say it's kind of a way of life or a way of the hunting life in Texas. Right. Uh, and so what happens is if you don't, then you're going to be at a disadvantage because the deer are going to check all the other feeders you know, right, right. And, and go there. Uh, and you won't have, you know, it's not like you're going to be hunting some sanctuary and say, oh, they'll come here when there's no feed in the other feeders or when the other feeders haven't cast. Uh, they're going to come to my location. That that won't be the case. And, and in some ways, I know the deer travel and check several different feeders at different times. They kind of learn where they are, just just like any other food source, and they go and hit those at different times. Okay. So as these deer are making this rotation, um, you know, and obviously as, as hunters, I don't know what kind of hunter you are or are you after uh, – uh, a buck at all or are you kind of a brown it's down hunter or are you a meat hunter what's what's the strategy as far as uh that's concerned so my my strategy is uh well let, let me go back to how i hunted this year because that okay. that kind of dictated my strategy once once i you know got there and started hunting actively hunting so I don't have a good way of determining the overall herd population or health or what have you in, in my, in my area. I mean, I know what I see and that's about as far as it goes. So once I got in tune and saying, Oh, I'm checking the trail camera. I see, you know, sometimes you can kind of identify even the does you can, you know, we, we get into the bucks and we say, Oh, that's, that's, that's so-and-so, you know, right. or that's a uh, that's drop time or that's, you know, Lone Star or whatever it might be, but you can identify the does too. So once I got a feel for kind of what the population was that I was seeing, I kind of determined, and I, I read and listened to some QDMA stuff and just said, you know, well, I have five tags. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to use all of those. That would, I'd have to buy two freezers, you right. know, 
that's way more than what my family could use. And uh, so I, I took I took a dough. I was willing to take a dough, uh, take a and we get one young buck, which is basically a spike or a deer with uh, an unbranched antler in my county. And then you also get a mature buck. I call it a mature buck. It's a buck that has to have a, a 13 inch inside spread, right? Okay. So, and then and then you can get you know. I think a total of three does. So it's two bucks and three does that I gotcha. can take. Well, I, so after I got my doe and the spike, I, I pretty much shut it down. And I got those, you know, opening day and then the second Saturday. I got them a week apart. So opening day and then the following week, I, I, I had those down. And so at that point, I was purely, purely mature buck hunting. Okay. Right? And, uh, and, uh, in the late season, which is, let's say January post rut and late season, I was kind of willing to maybe take another deer if it was a really big mature doe, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have that opportunity, uh, and it just didn't happen. So I, I had a successful year, but I'm not Brown is down by any stretch and I don't shoot any buck. I passed on bucks that were legal. And in fact, that's one of the reasons I know that the deer make the circuit is because one deer that I saw on the hoof at like 16 yards, I let him go. And, you know, less than a month later, one of the other guys killed him about, you know, a half a mile away or something. Gotcha. So do you feel that is, so you sit in your, your blind or, or your, your tree stand and you just sit and wait in one particular spot in front of this one feeder, or are you running trail cameras over several feeders in several areas to, you know, find where the, the deer movement is that best suits the way you hunt? So ideally I would have, multiple locations that I would have scouted, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Although Texas doesn't have, it's not that they're featureless, (laughs) but the terrain has less features when compared to what I'm used to in like Mississippi or Pennsylvania. It's definitely more, more, uh, sterile of an environment than, than those. So, but you can still find, some nuanced terrain features that lend themselves to, you know, oh, this may be a slight travel corridor or maybe the deer bed here or, so. you know, you, you can still hunt with those traditional methods. But on my particular lease, to try and keep guys from impeding other guys' hunts, they want to, the, the primary wants to, regulate us to a certain area to like one setup, you know? And so, um, I would sit in that blind at that feeder and, uh, and, and wait for what comes by or, you know, and, and be content with that. Now I, I may, I may try and expand that a little bit more to play. Cause once I sat there, I saw all these trails that were in my area. I would see deer, especially during a rut that were not coming into my feeder 
but came by my feeder. And, and even the first day I saw deer that came by my feeder and only, I probably saw say like six deer and only one of them walked in front of my camera. I was like, wow, how many deer did I miss all summer long on these trail camera pictures? And they were coming here, but just didn't walk in front of my camera because they weren't completely interested in the feeder and, and the corn that was there necessarily. You know, they, they might have just you know, say, I want some corn today, but maybe not right now, you know, so. So in a situation where you share a piece of property with several other hunters, do you, is it your responsibility mm-hmm. to pay for your own feed or is that kind of a, you know, a group thing you go and buy a big bulk of it? You, you pay for your own and, and, you know, different guys have different strategies I, and, and I hunted in a blind. I used my own feed. I had a buddy that, that actually introduced me to his property. So he and I kind of tag team each other's different spots. You know, if he couldn't make it out, I might, you know, throw a couple bags of feed in his feeder. And, uh, you know, sometimes guys would swap stands. They say, Oh, you know what? You can, you can hunt my stand. I'm not going to go out today. I'm not feeling up to it, but you know, you can go hunt my stand. And some guys had trees, you know, tree stands, uh, hang ons or, or ladders, tripods, a lot of different methods. Uh, but in general, you're responsible for your own feed. Okay. So, is there ever a time in a scenario like that, you know, you're limited to a certain area and, and you noticed that the, there's, there's no movement because of, I don't know, you, you know how the rut is, right? So, I mean, sometimes the deer that are mm-hmm. in your area just go because they're chasing a hot doe in a scenario, like mm-hmm. what you're talking about during the rut, is it ever completely just dead in your area? You know, I don't know, Dan, if it was, I know that happens, don't, you know, and I know other guys on my lease that, you know, like we have a central campground, you know, and so yeah. like we'll spend the night and we'll cook out together or whatever. And, uh, the, the, the guy, you know, we'd say, well, what'd you see? How'd it go? So forth and so on. And it was like, man, it was dead, you know, yeah. I didn't see anything or, I saw a few doe and I busted them before, you know, busted them out going into my, my stand or something or whatever, or they came out just to dark. Well, I was kind of fortunate every, I, you know, my, my place is so far away that I pr- pretty much just go on the weekends. Right. Okay. And I make a whole weekend of it. It's not like a day trip and every weekend, maybe not every set I had, but every, every weekend I saw deer. It wasn't always a mature buck. Sometimes it was, you know, fawns. Sometimes it was yearlings or a couple of does or, or bucks that weren't legal, you know, yet. They were either branched and not 13 inches or, or what have you, you know. So uh, I saw a lot of deer even during the rut, and that's when I started seeing even more movement outside of my feeder. Like they weren't as interested. The does would come to the feeder but the bucks wouldn't. And if a buck was coming in that doe, she kind of take off out of there, you know, okay. and then he'd go, or sometimes the buck would come in kind of scent check for a second. And then he, his nose was back to the ground and he was gone, you know? Right. Right. Has there ever been a time, has there ever been a time when 
a feeder I guess what I'm asking is, can you provide us with an example that a feeder worked for you, baiting worked for you, and then maybe another time where uh, baiting actually hurt you? Well, I think the closest thing to baiting hurting me might be during the rut. You know, and one one of the one of my uh, another guy on the lease. He would say, man, I keep telling you guys, you can't kill a big buck on that feeder. They're not going to come into that feeder. And then other guys would say, well, that's hogwash because I've killed them at the feeder and I see them come into the feeder. And, uh, you know, the guy saying, you got to get back on the trails coming in, you know, so there's that debate. But I kind of saw, in some ways, it was a disadvantage for bucks because they weren't coming to feed. They were coming and chasing a doe. And if a doe happened to come to the feeder and leave, they were going to, they were, they may just, you know, blow through there so fast that the feeder didn't matter. I would have done better being on a trail, maybe, you know, but I I saw a deer. And then there are times when it was very, I I killed one of the deer I killed, I killed him at the feeder and there were two deer at the feeder. And, uh, this actually, I saw that deer in the morning and I passed on him and he came back that afternoon and I shot him that afternoon. And then there, this, the, the doe that I shot, she was by herself. It had been pretty slow. She came to the feeder and kind of checked it out, but didn't really eat. You know, she kind of walked around and then was going to leave. Like there's not enough activity here. And I was like, well, I mean, I got a shot on her basically without her being completely at the feeder. Okay. All right. So next year, are you going to continue to bait or are you going to try to um, use maybe a combination of baiting and, you know, trail hunting? Well, what I'm going to try to do is try to figure out a way to ambush some set up some ambush points on the trails leading to my feeder because I still ultimately have that, 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 uh, kind of this rule that I have to only hunt my little area. So I'm just going to plan to expand that a little bit. You know, generally I'm going to be hunting my area. I just won't, you know, won't be right at that same exact blind every time all, you know, all day, every time. Um, And then the other thing that I'm going to do is um, I'm actually planning to do some supplemental feeding, uh, you know, some, some basically protein supplements, try and feed the deer some of that sooner and not just corn. Most of the guys just hunt over corn, right? I'm going to try and put some protein uh, gravity feeder out, you know, actually in the next month or so, in the next few weeks to okay. try and supplement that through the growing season, the antler growing season, the, the uh, gestation period for the does and so forth. One, one of the things that can be a challenge in Texas is that when we hit these drought periods, uh, it can it can be really problematic. And I've been told that in the drought years, like last year wasn't a drought year. The last couple of years wasn't quite the same as the droughts we'd had previous years. But when there's a drought, they say you'll see tons of deer at the feeder and tons of feral hogs at the feeder 
even at the same time. That's one of the problems is that the deer compete for, for the, you know, compete on the, the capacity of the land, the carrying capacity with feral hogs right now. I so in the, and the hogs are way more prolific feeders and breeders than the deer. So if you, if you're, if you're not kind of sort of supplementing, you may be hurting the, the deer, especially in a drought year. Now when everything's green and there's good mass crops and, you know, maybe there's some, some, some other, uh, you know, I don't really hunt near a farm, but you know there are farms in Texas that may help, right? But in in my area, there are not many oak trees or fruit trees. The the Texas has really my region has really poor uh, soil conditions, and so anything you can add beyond the natural browse is probably really beneficial in general for the deer. So that that helped to make me feel better about this newfound style of hunting and uh, say, well, hey, maybe, maybe this is going to grow better deer, grow healthier does and, and everything, you know, they'll start dropping two fawns and, you know, but the hogs come to the feeders too. And a lot of people, um, a lot of people put up what's called a uh, hog wire or cattle wire or, or what have you. I think it's hog wire around their feeders and make like a pen and so the hogs don't get into the feeder because they're they're eating the same feed that the deer will eat. Gotcha. And, but they won't jump over it like a deer can. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, I, I plan to do a get back to your question. I plan to do a combination: hunting over the feeder, hunting some some access trails coming into my feeder, and to do expand my feeding a little bit more during this off season, and. Uh, and even even into the fall, I may still have a little bit of protein out there. It's kind of expensive, but I, I may still do it for a while. Next up, we will be speaking with Cody Hasseltine. Cody hunts in Maryland, which is also another state that it is legal to bait deer. However, he hunts in more of a suburb type area where uh, the access that he has, the property that he has access to is about three acres and under. So let's see how he uses baiting to his advantage. Um, I mostly use it because I, I hunt the suburbs around DC. So I hunt a really small woodlot and I hunt some woodlots like properties that are a quarter acre in size. Um, and I get permission to hunt a lot of the spots I do um, to kill deer because our deer population here is ridiculously high where the homeowners are getting upset because they eat all their shrubbery and landscape and they're actually kind of destroying the forest. Like you can walk around our woods, many of our parks where you can't hunt and there's no understory. There's just large mature trees and there's just a eight foot tall browse line. So I use it a lot of times just to um, harvest does so that I can get permission to hunt properties and keep be able to keep the properties because I have lost properties by not being able to shoot enough deer on them. Oh, really? Man, I wish yep. I had that problem. <laughs> yeah. It's so, uh it's it's pretty crazy down here how the deer vamps adapt to the suburbs. Gotcha, gotcha. So you use bait because deer are basically overpopulated and it's 
I mean, it sounds to me the way you described it is you drop bait there and it's going to be just a matter of time before deer show up. Yeah. So, I mean, but I generally do not bait to kill bucks. Um, I haven't been real successful. I have done it a few times, but it's not a main way I've targeted deer, uh, well, bucks in specific. It does work really well though in does and well, young bucks will work too, but. Um, yeah, that's what I usually do just to kind of harvest some does on some of the suburban properties that hunt. Okay. So do you feel from a does perspective, you feel it is, uh, you know, it's obviously a benefit and a benefit to your strategy, right? Yeah, it definitely, okay. definitely will bring us some does. So in your area, are, are there a lot of other hunters who bait too? Yeah, pretty much everybody baits here. It's, I mean, there's, not everyone, but I would say 75%, 85% people bait. Okay. Um, so is it also one of the things like, well, because my neighbor's baiting, I, I bait, I'll, I'm going to bait too, or is it just, that's how everybody does it? Um, here it's kind of, I would say it's kind of tradition. It's like how everyone's done it. Gotcha. Like when I first moved down here, the first year I hunted down here, I didn't bait at all. Um, and then as I started hunting some more of the suburbs, but I got permission, I started baiting. Because part of it is I also, some of the spots I hunt, like I want to get the most, per, like a perfect shot I can because, you know, it's only 100 yards to the next house. So I don't want the deer running into some of the backyard, something like that. Like I want, right. want the most ethical kill I can get because of those reasons. Okay. Now, in, in uh, on the East Coast like this, right, the, and this suburban hunting is foreign to me, I take it you're in a, in a position where you could probably see into some of these people's houses from your tree stand. Is, is that right? Yeah, I have one spot I hunt. It's only a quarter acre, and it's kind of, there's like a, the neighbor's house is like an abandoned lot in between them. And the deer go back and forth across the road there uh, from one woodlot to the next. Because what it is is a lot of these areas, it's all, wherever there's streams, it's owned by the county and it's park, which is non-huntable. Um, so a lot of times what you're doing is you're hunting up against the back of a woodlot like that, which is non-huntable kind of on the backyards. And I, I do have one spot that I can hear them listening to TV, like I can pick the wife up from their house. <laughs> yeah, it stands like 20 yards from the the corner of their house. So the deer just kind of cut through that side of the yard in between two houses. So have you ever killed a deer and had one of those scenarios where it's got an arrow in it and it's running in between houses, leaving like a blood trail in people's front yards? No, no, I've never had anything like that. I did have, um, last year I had a deer. I figured with this one, so I want to ask that actually like let them walk by me and start going down close like to where they're almost to the park property before I shoot them. Because if I shoot them before they get to me, they would run like back to where they had come from. And I did have one like run and die in the neighbor's like flower bed. But like, luckily it was like just gray lights. I could like run over there and they weren't up yet. Get it out of there. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't, I, whenever I think of the East coast, I just think, you know, a lot of these animal lovers who would never want to see, uh, you know, a deer die and then, you know, they, they'd see you pulling a deer out and they'd probably call the cops on you. Right. Because they, they don't know any rules or regulations or anything like that. 
Yeah, so like one of the counties I hunt in, um, it's really, really rich um, because it's just right out of D.C. So it's right, right. where, um, you know, there's uh, people over the government that are making boatloads of money and stuff that have million dollar houses. They're all up and down these streets. Um, so, yeah, those people, Maryland's pretty liberal, certain counties, too. So you definitely have those people. But then I hunt another county, which is it's pretty ghetto. And most of the people down there. Certain is they just they just don't care. Yeah, they'll okay. like you'll ask for from permission. They kind of just tell you to do what you want to do. <laughs> right, gotcha. So, you know, typically you said you bait for does, but as far as bucks are concerned, when you're targeting a, a buck, you said you you may not use that same strategy. Do you still use bait, but? hunt in a different position how how do you how do you hunt bucks with in that scenario um it'll depend like um most of the time when i'm hunting bucks it'll be if they're coming to a food source so if you have you get lucky where there's like kind of maybe the top over the private property is it's white oak because it's kind of up up on the hill sometimes you'll get lucky you, you get to one of those where early in the season you'll catch them coming up to feed in there or actually go into a yard or something like that to feed. Right. Um, so you'll target them that way. Generally the bucks are pretty smart. They've seen bait enough toward the majority of the time. They won't really come to it during the daylight. Once they become hardcore, when they're velvet in the summertime, they'll, they'll come to it all the time. Um, same, you know, when they're hitting the minerals and stuff, but it seems like as soon as they shed their velvet, they'll just become pretty much nocturnal when they're coming to it. They will come to daylight sometimes, but not a lot. So the the bucks get weary once, you know, hunting season starts opening up and they go nocturnal. Um, so because of that, do you have to go, I, how do you make your adjustments on a quarter acre uh, piece of property or, you know, some of your others, I, t- I take it a lot of your hunting properties are mostly small. What's the, what are some of your average hunting properties as far as size? Yeah, I would concerned? say most, the majority of mine in sizes are between probably three and quarter acre. I do have permission to hunt one farm, which is like 120 acres, but it's still pretty urban. I mean, only half of it you could use a gun on so it's, it borders up to a high school too so half the time when i'm hunting i'm listening to the high school football game so <laughs> that's kind of cool um so back to bucks here um because they they go nocturnal um have, have you found success with you know hunting bucks in in these urban areas you know because of their nocturnal movements or is it just one of these things where luck has to be on your side um, they're not, I wouldn't say necessarily they're nocturnal. They'll come to the only general will come to the bait at night. They'll still be out feeding and stuff. It's actually, I think, I would say they get a little bit less pressure because a, they're so used to people and then b, like they're, they're in the park. So they're not really getting, you know, you can't hunt them down in there. It's when they come out. So a lot of times I will sometimes still see them moving during daylight and stuff. It's just actually getting to come up where you can hunt. Um, so a lot of it'll be just hunting them on food sources. You kind of, it's not much different than hunting other than there's houses, but you have to use the houses. You still have to use like houses and stuff like that as terrain. So you can get pinch points and stuff like that, where there might be a wood lot or a stream or something that cuts through 
in between like one development and another and it like connects two big wood lots so you'll like try to find stuff like that to hunt so you still you just have to look, kind of look at it from like a different angle of how to you know find that terrain you want to hunt and like pinch point stuff like that okay so do you feel that having bait gives you an advantage or let's say in that same scenario you took bait you know baiting was no longer legal in maryland um do you think you would still be successful or would you know would you would you be like man this that law just killed any chance i'm gonna have of killing a deer no i would still be successful i would um the majority of my bucks that I have killed, I usually killed during the rut. Um, and I'll, basically, you're catching them as they're, they're cruising from one woodlot to the next woodlot. So you're sitting on like a pinch point or something like that, um, which is, you know, it's which where the woods funnels down and might be between two developments or something like that. And then you'll catch them, you know, going from one woodlot to the next one as they're searching for does. Okay. So... As far as bait is concerned, is that something you do all year round? Um, is it something that just happens during hunting season? I mean, do you go like a week or two before uh, the season starts and, and drop the bait? Or is it just, hey, I'm heading out to the tree stand now. I'm going to dump a pile of corn, and they're just going to find it that same day? Um, no, usually like if I'm going to do it, especially like when I shoot does, I will go the day or two before and dump corn out. So then they'll find, they might find it that night before dark. One or two might find it, but it's usually if you do that, you know, when they're wandering around at night, the next day you'll start having five, six coming into it. Um, I do like the one farm I said I have permission. I do have a feeder that I run there all the time. I don't actually ever hunt over the feeder. I just run it there more for inventory. Right. Um, just to get pictures to see what's in there. Cause I have noticed I've been running that feeder for two years now. I didn't really get a lot of bucks on there before. And when they would, they'd come in during the night, but now that it's been there for two years and I, I run it year round, I never, never stop it. They do start coming into it during daylight, but usually once, well, during hunting season, they'll still come into it, but I usually try to cut them off, either go into it or I'll hunt like one of the other food sources are coming to before they go to it, like some of the fields around it. Right. Okay. Now I got a question for you in regards, kind of jumping to, back to urban hunting. So I got some friends who live in the suburbs of Chicago, right? And they see absolute giants living in some of these, you know, exactly what you just mentioned, like a crick that separates two hunting or like two wooded grassy areas that haven't been developed yet. And there may be a crick that runs through it with some, like a buffer strip or grass on each side. Are there, are there giants out where you live as well that basically just go unnoticed or, you know, never get hunted? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't always, I say they go unnoticed. There's definitely people out there looking for them, but yeah, there's there's some good deer killed in Maryland, um, especially in some of the suburbs and some of the counties. I mean, I know there was two guys that I saw they killed 180 class deer in one of the counties I hunt in. Um, that were I think they're actually both suburban deer from what I heard. Okay. But I've seen I've seen some booners and stuff. Never never like a 200 inch deer, but I've seen a lot of 140. Some of the uppers are you know 160 that I've seen. Right. 
Um, because, you know, back to baiting, because everybody baits there, when you're ever making a move on, a, I mean, do you run a lot of trail cameras? Yeah, I run about 20 cameras. Oh, okay. So do, do you feel that with everybody who's baiting, and, and I take it there's also a lot of hunters too, right? Yeah, there's a pretty good amount of hunters. I was okay. surprised. I didn't think there'd be that many suburban hunters, but you'll find them when I'm shed hunting other right. properties that border the parks that are there. There's tree stands and stuff there. Okay. So with all that, the hunting pressure and different forms of, uh, you know, different forms of baiting that are going on on all these different properties, does it ever hinder you? Uh, like, let's say you've targeted a buck on trail camera. Does it ever hurt you that your neighbor is baiting too? And, you know, instead of coming by your your area that you get a hunt, they're coming, you know, they, they take a hard left or a hard right or whatever, and they go to the, uh, the neighbor's property instead. Yeah, I think it can, especially if you get, you have someone who's, you know, baiting it consistently or they're going there every two days and, and, you know, dumping corn or whatever out. I think that can, especially if they're not hunting it. Um, cause I know some guys that that's, that's how they'll end up killing their buck is they'll, they'll dump corn in places year round and every couple of days they're going there, you know, dumping a hundred pounds, 50 pounds of corn out year round and they'll wait until they get a buck coming into it regularly. Then they'll go in and, and target it. So that definitely can, can hurt you. Gotcha. Now, have you ever hunted in other States that don't allow hunting or excuse me, don't allow baiting? Yeah. So I grew up in New York, which doesn't allow baiting. Um, and I had success up there. It was, it was quite a bit different than hunting here because it was up in the mountains near Adirondack, so there's very little deer up there. But I have uh, I've deer hunted. I, I shot my first mule deer this year in Wyoming on a DIY public land hunt. Oh, awesome. Which hasn't allowed baiting. Um, I've hunted in Maine as well when I was younger with my dad, which I don't believe they allow baiting for deer either. Last but not least, we talk with Dylan Colley from Kentucky about how he uses baiting in his yearly strategy. Okay. Uh, so, like you said, it's legal here. And, um, you know, some people agree with it, some people don't. Um, I guess I'm pro uh, pro bait, so to speak, just because it is legal. Um, I try to use it uh, to my advantage in the, in the aspect of, you know, Corn is probably the primarily what I put out. Uh, there's some other attractants and stuff, uh, not including minerals that I use. But so when I put out corn, uh, it allows me to, in a hurry, get an idea of what kind of animals, what kind of age structure, uh, you know, what my herd looks like. You know, it blows your mind how quick corn attracts all the animals. Um, so I'll start, uh, you know, sometimes I'll usually start putting minerals out. Uh, around june or july uh if i haven't already put them out and then corn probably around the middle of august so what that does is that allows me to get you know i'm gonna get most or all of my velvet bucks on my farms on a corn pile so that i know who made it through the winter um you know if i hadn't got them on camera before then i will on a corn pile okay so you in a way you use it for inventory before the season yep. even starts that's right? right okay that's right and then does that help you put together uh um 
a so-called hit list of maybe some of the bucks that you're targeting that 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 particular year? That's that's correct. So you know, I kind of have an advantage. Some some guys like yourself, um, you know, you got to rely on your mineral stations, which work uh, very well, I think. But I can be a little more, you know. Now I don't want to call myself lazy, but you know, I can go out and within a couple of weeks, I can pretty much tell you what's living on my farm at that time. Okay. So how big of a property do you hunt? I hunt uh, primarily hunt two properties. One of them is about 300 acres. The other one is about 250 acres. Okay. Um, go do, ahead. You share, do you share that property with other hunters? Um, both properties I share. The, the one that's 300, I only uh, have one other guy on the lease. Uh, so it's really just two of us. And then we also, my girlfriend hunts and his wife does as well. Okay. Uh, so it's not too bad, you know, split with a couple people. The other property, I actually manage that property and I have, you know, anytime I want to go hunting, I have the right to do so. But, um, it's a company that owns it, that I manage it for. So I really never know who's going to be there when they're going to be there. So, you know, you can relate. That makes it a little bit tougher. Right. Right. So, on these properties, um, the last guy I talked to, he hunts properties that were under, you know, they were three acres or under, you know, in a in a suburb setting. Uh, but you have a little bit bigger of an area. Are there multiple baiting stations on the properties you hunt, or just certain dedicated areas that uh, that you use for baiting? So to give you an idea, the 300-acre property, imagine it being split down the middle with a road. You know, it's okay. a two-lane road. Um, not heavily trafficked, but there's there's quite a few vehicles up and down it. And I've got two baiting stations on, on each side of the road. Okay. And um, then I take it the, the tree stands are located right over top of those baiting stations or in the general vicinity? So... Very good question uh, that will kind of lead me to the next point. Um, I don't actually use my bait to hunt over. Okay. Um, it's not, you know, I'm not saying that because I don't believe in hunting over bait. I don't believe that necessarily that's wrong. A lot of people do it. Some people do it successfully. So I'm not at all bashing that. But what I've run into is because deer are attracted to corn as well as they are, um, imagine having a group of six or eight does, a couple family groups of does that come to your stand uh, two or three hours before daylight and are standing around, uh, you know, for, for a couple of hours, how hard it is not for one of those deer not to either see you or smell you during that period of time. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I plant food plots and stuff as well. I will hunt over some of my food plots, my baiting stations. If I'm hunting... If I'm hunting them, so to speak, I'm going to hunt them the way the deer access them so that I'm not, um, you know, causing my deer to realize that, I, that I'm there, you know, because it's going to happen. You're going to get busted uh, at some point. It may be out of, you know, sight sometimes uh, if you're hunting too close to them. Okay. So that could be a, that can be kind of a negative when you're talking about baiting, having deer right. on that bait. That's right. Too many, too many eyes, ears, and noses uh, to gotcha. compete with. Gotcha. All right. So, do you hunt because of bait? Right. I had the, the mm-hmm. and I keep referring to the last conversation I had. He mentions okay. he he hunts 
deer or bucks different than he does does if he's hunting a doe he'll sit right over top of a bait pile and he'll you know slam a doe right when they walk in he's you know from the way he put it it almost sounds like it's automatic now do you hunt bucks different than does uh near you know on a baited property uh, yeah, I guess so to speak. Uh, his strategy there is a uh, definitely uh, productive one. You know, I feel like that uh, I could probably, as long as that all the stars aligned, I could probably go hunt over one of my bait piles and shoot a doe. Uh, pretty good odds that I'm going to kill one. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. My my thinking of that is though, I don't really want to disturb those areas any more than I have to, you know, more than going there and, and baiting them because I like to keep my inventory there. So with a doe, uh, I may use bait and shoot a deer over it, but I'm probably going to make a temporary bait pile somewhere else in a less intrusive area to do so. Does that make sense? In a way, elaborate a little bit more. Okay, so I told you, for instance, I've got four bait piles on that 300-acre property. Right. If I decide if it's time and I want to fill the freezer and I want to go shoot a doe, instead of choosing one of those four bait piles to go hunt over uh, to increase my odds of killing a doe, I'll make another bait pile. Maybe just I might put out, you know, X amount of a 50-pound bag of corn, whatever, give it a couple days. And because of the drawing power of it, I'll go hunt that and shoot a doe, and I will have strategically put that somewhere where I can access it easy, get in there and get my deer out easy without really intruding on on the better spots on my property gotcha so when when the rut hits and uh you know the bucks start coming out of the woodwork or or you know everybody's going in there hunting bucks is it is it your strategy to hunt near a bait pile or are you hunting bucks on trails pinch points and you know, not like they're going to be hanging around a bait pile all day long waiting for does. Um, so me personally, uh, I hunt, I still hunt my pinch points, travel corridors, right. uh, maybe doe bedding areas. Uh, now I have some people that I know that, that kill deer pretty regularly, bucks, uh, respectable bucks, somewhere around a bait pile during the rut because if you've got a bunch of does there, it's, it's going to be checked by a big buck, a mature buck at some point. Uh, once again, I just, it's my thought that, you know, the less I intrude on those areas, the better. I would rather have the same 15 deer that are at that bait pile may come by me, but they're going to spend a few minutes around me rather than an extended period of time. And that's just my personal opinion. Right. Right. That's what works for me. Right. So just like any hunting situation, even if you have bait there, you can burn out a stand. Is that what you're saying? Sure you can. Sure you can. They're still going to be there, and you're going to get pictures of them, but it's going to be at night. Right. Okay. Okay. So they 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 will become educated. It's not like they're starving to the point where you know you could you could be standing at the bait pile yourself, waving your arms, and they'd still come in. Right. They're they're, they're smart That's enough to exactly know. Exactly right. Exactly okay. right. All right. Now transitioning to kind of a different topic that a lot of people you know, talk about and talk about when they talk, when they talk about baiting and that is disease. Do you ever worry about some of these contact diseases that, uh, are, are spread through, you know, 
the prawns, I, I believe, that live in the dirt, uh, and the the deer come in contact with those, and that can spread, you know, for, to multiple deer. Do you do you ever get worried about a state like Kentucky blowing up from some kind of disease because it is a baiting state? Um, so my thoughts on that subject, you know, you pretty much have two groups of people there and both of them are great points. Um, in my personal opinion, deer are, you know, they like to congregate anyway. Uh, they're a yep. social animal. They're, they're going to do that regardless of whether or not you have a bait pile out, whether it be the, the food plot or your bait pile or uh, a hay field that they're spending time in. Um, so in my thoughts are, I would rather have a sick deer spend more time on this 300 acres although you know i hate that it's my 300 acres but i would rather them have everything they need here and maybe keep it contained in a smaller area than be roaming everywhere over uh 2,000 acres um and, and spreading it along that whole border of that amount of space that's just my opinion whether it's right or wrong you know i don't know flip a coin you know right, right. Uh, just my outlook on it gotcha so is baiting in your opinion baiting better for bow hunting or better for for gun hunting that's that's a topic i really haven't covered yet i'm primarily a bow hunter you know uh my bow goes with me all the way through november we have a we have a two week long uh gun season and and i take my bow so i guess i I like to use it for bow hunting but uh, for gun hunting that might be a time where, you know, you could hunt over bait from a further distance and it probably would be extremely effective. You know, you're not going to burn that place out. You could still see it. Um, so I don't, I don't, I can't speak for the gun hunting a whole lot, um, cause I don't do it much, but, uh, I would say that it would be even more effective for that. Okay. So I take it everybody in your area baits then, right? Yeah, that's another point I wanted to make, uh, yeah, and I feel like that's where you're going with this. Um, so in a state that baits, uh, you know, and especially around here, Christian County's a hot spot right now. We've got a lot of guys from out of state that, have, you know, have came and leased ground to, to take advantage of the, the opportunities here. Uh, you know, you know, no one can blame them for that. I've made a lot of good, good acquaintances. I've got some friends that have been hunting around here long enough that, I mean, I actually call them friends. Um everybody comes and starts putting corn out in September. Yeah. So if you don't have corn out, you're still going to have deer and, and you can still have corn is not something that keeps them healthy, but it is an attractant. It's purely an attractant. So if your neighbors on four sides of you have corn out, those deer on your farm are going to go eat it at some point. So you better have some out yourself. Um, or you're kind of spinning your wheels and I, I you know, it, it's just the way it is right or wrong. That's just how it is. Right. If you can't beat them, join them kind of deal. You know what I mean? I gotcha. Gotcha. So by process of elimination, uh, a hunter in an area like that will, will be forced to bait if they want to have success. Um, I hate to be that blunt about it. Um, if you want to increase your odds to the best of your ability, then yes, absolutely. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I've been in a scenario, uh, and I'm, I'm going to call this a, 
a late season scenario. It's not baiting, but it was a concentrated food source. It was a, a cornfield that was left standing and mm-hmm. deer were all over the place because it was a concentrated food source similar to a bait pile, right? Or a, a baiting yep. area. Yep. Um, did, have you ever run into anything where the, where there's been too many deer in an area and they have spooked themselves and ruined a hunt because of that? Late season, as you're talking about, um, if, you know, on my farm, I've got, I've got about four acres of, um, of other food plots, you know, what a lot of it was turnips, oats, uh, things like that, different brassicas. And then I had left two acres of standing soybeans that I drilled in just for deer. And I also have corn out. But if you have a farm that's 300 acres and you just have a corn pile out this time of year or, you know, the end of bow season, um, it can it can definitely happen. You can have so many deer around you that they are spooking their self. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have success, but, you know, it gets a little crazy. Uh, almost, it's just too many animals around. Sometimes you'll even have animals around that, that aren't, really familiar with the area because like you said you know deer from everywhere come to that food source because it's so sparse that time of year uh, that they're not familiar with the other deer or the area they can be pretty pretty spooky right right and one of the last questions i have is you know i have a piece of property that butts up against a guy who plants a ton of of food plots and the deer come to his property because he's got the food. So I am trying to make a play off those food plots to the best of my ability on the, the property that I have permission to that borders the, his property. Do you ever run into anybody maybe trying to, on a neighboring property, trying to take advantage of your baiting sites whether that is you know them trespassing and getting on a trail that leads to that baiting site or you know right over the fence perfectly legal doing what they're doing but they're they're using your baiting sites because they've maybe patterned a deer coming to your your property Uh, yeah absolutely it's a it's a constant battle i could probably go to several places on on this main farm i hunt uh or the other one as well where I've got people that, you know, they, they probably wouldn't shoot a deer in my food plot on my farm, but uh, they're definitely trying to shoot them before they get there. Uh, perfectly legal, though, and um, I try to, you know, conflict is normally doesn't help. You know, if it comes down to it, though, and I'm the kind of person who's going to tell you how it is, uh, I spend a lot of time and a lot of money. I'm very passionate about it, uh, but I try to get along with everybody. So uh, the best solution to that problem is for me to put, uh, you know, my strategy is to try to concentrate my food as best I can on the center of my farm. Right. Now, I'm not talking about a circle in the middle of my farm, okay, but I'm, I'm trying to put it as close to the center as, as what makes sense. And then also, uh, as important as food is, is your cover, is your bedding cover, staging cover. So, so I work on that as much as I do food, and I try to make it where that's towards the edge of my property. And uh, the food's towards the center, so hopefully I can keep the deer coming from the outside in uh, as much as possible. They're going to get off of it, but, you know, you do what you can uh, to, to increase your odds. 
Just want to send a big thank you to Dan, Cody, and Dylan for taking time out of their day to come on this podcast and share how they use baiting in their yearly strategy. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Exodus Trail Cameras. If you if you decide to purchase uh, an Exodus Trail Camera, use the code Nine Fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, to save twenty dollars. Huge shout out to DeerLab.com and huge shout out to Ripcord Arrow Rests. Now, if you guys haven't already, check me out on Facebook, check me out on Twitter, check me out on Instagram. Make sure you follow me. I, I post pictures and ask questions and um, all that stuff. So make sure you're following me on all the social media platforms. Again, thanks for listening and. Uh, you know, continuing the trend, if you guys haven't already looked into this Keep It Public movement, uh, be sure you do that. Other than that, if it's nice this weekend, take the family outside, get some fresh air, go pound some ground, look for sheds, and remember to keep it public.